0: The Old Testament reading for the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany from Isaiah, Chapter 58. Why have we fasted, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure, and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel, and to fight, and to hit with the wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord shall answer, you shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. This is the word of the Lord. The Epistles from 1st Corinthians, Chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God philosophy, speech, or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet, among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, we might understand freely the things given, understand the things freely given us by God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We rise from the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Text for this morning's message the epistle from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, focusing especially on the following. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Thus far our text. I don't know if you've heard of something called TED Talks or not. They've become a very big thing in recent years. TED, it's an acronym standing for Technology, Entertainment, Design. The idea behind a TED Talk is that people who have special qualifications and a gift for communicating share things that they have learned and they do this both live and over the internet by means of multimedia presentations. It's become very popular and it's more or less the modern-day equivalent of famous lecturers doing a touring circuit a century ago. There was a time after all when people would pay admission simply to hear someone famous talk, talk about things that were intellectually stimulating, so they could learn, so they could grow in their knowledge of the world. TED talks, traveling lecturers, it's modernization of a practice common in the days of the New Testament. Great rhetoricians and Philosophers would wow the crowds, make significant money for themselves by public speaking, debating in public, gaining for themselves students to pay handsomely for the right to sound like their teacher did. It is, as Canadian academic Marshall McLuhan once famously noted, the medium is the message. And in Christendom, the internet has contributed to this famous teacher model as well. If you use the YouTube service on the internet at all, you know all about YouTube channels and how some people actually make a pretty good living just by generating content that they show on YouTube. Generally these are gifted speakers or presenters. They're able to generate material that engages an audience well. And on some level, this is what Paul is observing as today's reading begins. Again, we're continuing with the reading from 1 Corinthians, and so a lot of the same themes come up as in previous readings, especially that of the centrality, the sufficiency, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul also has a little warning against the very human desire to be swayed by smooth tongues or stylish words. And again, it's not that those who speak in public should be hard to listen to or tripping over their tongues every three words or anything like that, far from it. And indeed, one of the reasons I've been involved in community theater over the last few years is to learn better how to speak before crowds, to be honest. But the message is more than the medium. Especially for us as Christians. The message of Christ being proclaimed should far outweigh the relative strengths or weaknesses of the style of the proclamation. I remember doing a so called summer vicarage in Winnipeg between my first and second year of seminary, and as part of that, I went to a church planting seminar being held in Winnipeg with one of my supervising pastors. And it was an eye opener of an event for me. Other than in a couple of the praise and worship songs, there's literally nothing spoken about Jesus, or preaching, or even God's word in the event. Mostly it was about doing market research. Finding an area with lots of new housing starts and young families. Creating social aspects and conditions that would make people welcome. Having a big enough parking lot. That sort of thing. And according to their formula in the year 2000, if you did all that stuff, you'd be able to successfully plant and grow a church. (coughs) But is it really successfully growing a church? If the content of what's being taught is an afterthought. If the message of the cross of Jesus is utterly missing. Now to be charitable, that pastor and I assumed that they were assuming Christian preaching would occur. But it was noteworthy to both of us that there was nothing actually said about the actual content in a two-day seminar about how to start a church. For the wisdom of men can indeed show us how to grow successful organizations, how to do our market research properly, how to win friends and influence people, how to get the right sort of messaging to get your name out there. And maybe there is some things we can learn from men's wisdom in these fields. But without Jesus at the center, without the fact of him dying on the cross for our sins at the core, It's just the wisdom of men. It saves nobody. It is, as Shakespeare once wrote, like a tale told by a fool, full of sound and fury, but signifying nothing. For there are two kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom of the world, which tells us, if you do things the world's way, you'll have great success as a church. And this sirens call has been one of the struggles for the Christian church ever since the earliest of times. Did God really say was the old ploy used by the devil on our first parents? And the wisdom of the world would tell us that it's okay to pitch out those parts of the scripture that aren't appealing to a 21st century audience. It's okay to redefine your terms so you don't have to face up or deal with the fact that you're a sinner. That your heart your life is turned in on yourself. Human wisdom can discover stars, delve the depths of the earth, plumb the deepest reaches of the ocean, climb the highest mountains, research the smallest particles of matter, but can't solve the problem of sin, can't keep people from dying, It can at best perhaps delay the inevitable. Human wisdom certainly can't keep you from hell. It can't fix the fact that as St. Augustine once noted in his confessions, there's a hole in each human heart until God comes and fills it. But there's the other kind of wisdom, spiritual wisdom. The wisdom of God that comes from the Holy Spirit working on and in our hearts and minds and lives to transform us. As Paul continues in the reading from 1 Corinthians 2, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And there are two dimensions to this spiritual wisdom as well. First, it is the wisdom of salvation. As Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is the sort of wisdom to which every Christian must hold fast if we are in Christ. The wisdom of knowing that the scriptures are where we hear the story of redemption from the earliest of times. The fall into sin, God calling the patriarchs and giving them his promises. God's promise being transferred down through the ages, through the kings and the prophets, and finally Christ coming, our Lord and Savior, God in the flesh, born for us, living the perfect life, dying on the cross to take away our sins, and rising to give us eternal life. Our Christian faith is no mystic experiential thing where you come to faith by means of dreams or visions or feelings, where you're not saved until you have some sort of special emotional experience. Rather, it's a faith born of hearing, learning, and trusting in God's Word. Should we despise the Word in favour of our feelings or emotions? Whose fault is it if we lose the bigger picture? Even if we lose our faith in Christ? But if we grow in the word, we also grow in our connection to Christ and his word. And Paul points out that there's even a deeper spiritual wisdom. And this is not the sort of thing where you have to be some sort of super Christian to get it. But, and I want to rule out as well, that this teaching going around in the early church, which destroyed a lot of people's faith, called Gnosticism, that taught the body is inherently evil, but the soul is inherently good, So the goal of the human life is to be true to your soul and ignore your body. Although that sort of thing has certainly resurfaced in today's world, hasn't it? It's not spiritual wisdom, it's the wisdom of the world, the lie of the devil repackaged. Rather, Christian teaching says we are saved in body and soul. We believe in the resurrection of the body, as we say in the creed. Rather, the deeper spiritual wisdom is that extra measure of insight into god's word into your own sinful flaws your need for redemption it's the spiritual clarity which you grow and develop over time as your faith in christ grows and your love for him as you dig into your need for his forgiveness won for you on the cross as you learn to cherish the treasure the treasures of his body and blood given and shed for you in which you partake in the holy supper and this life of faith is not something you can ever, in this world, finish growing in or learning about. Last Wednesday evening, one of the professors from the seminary, my own confirmation pastor, Dr. Korchuk, visited with our confirmation class and pointed out that seminary has got a lot of the same themes and topics as confirmation class. It only goes much deeper. And likewise, as much as I learned in seminary, I've learned an awful lot more again simply by being your pastor. Luther himself once famously stated he didn't know the catechism as well as he might like. And he wrote it. This is the truth of spiritual wisdom. It's like mining a gold vein. It gets deeper and richer and wider the further you get into it. For the only way to truly get the things that God wants to give you through Jesus Christ is through the Holy Spirit working on you by faith. Faith given in baptism, faith fed by the Word, faith fed by the Holy Supper. That's the sort of faith that clings to Christ through good times and bad alike, through easy time and hard alike. Where Christ is, there life is. Where Christ is, There His Spirit dwells. There He is in His church. There we slowly are made to be more like Him. Struggles and sufferings in this world are all part of it. For if we want to be like Christ, we can expect nothing more, nothing less, to be like Him in that way too. But at the end, we receive from Him eternal life. If only we are faithful. So instead of looking for great emotional buzzes or fancy speaking, look for the spiritual wisdom that comes from Christ and his word, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Grow in Christ. Walk in his ways. Let your light shine before men. And see what riches of his grace you also will find. In Jesus' name, amen.